football. Ladies and gentlemen, goals allowed. Hello and welcome to another Goals Allowed bonus podcast. My name is Jake Sandy and I'm joined in the studio today by Danny Hodges. Hello. And before we start, I'd just like to say a massive Happy New Year to all our listeners as it is now 2020. Well, I mean, technically it's not while we're recording this, but by the magic of pre-recorded podcasts, it certainly will be when you listen to it. So without any further ado, I'll launch into the topic of today's bonus show. Uh, as we sort of had to find a topic that wouldn't be out of date when you're hearing this, obviously, if you're a Goals Allowed regular, you'll remember the Emery debacle last week when we spoke yeah. about him <laughs> the day before he got sacked. So we thought that we would do some football-based hypothetical questions, so we'd be totally timeless with those. So I think I'll kick off with my first one. Obviously, in the Football League, uh, every season, three teams come up from the Championship, three teams are relegated from the Premier League. Obviously, it's the bottom three teams that go down and the top three teams come up. I personally think that's a bit boring. I think it should be determined arbitrarily by some people they pick off the street. So with that idea, if you could relegate and promote three teams from the Football League to the Premier League, who would it be? Um, well, obviously, as a Swansea fan, they would instantly get uh, promoted. Um, I would then do... I'm not... I, I would say Leeds, just because I know they're hated. But they would bring such a good crowd to the Premier League, and it would be it would be um, be very fun seeing them back, and especially against United because it would, that would see an old uh, rivalry reignited. Yeah, reignited. Um, and kind of third one is a bit of a weird one because I was thinking of teams like who are other teams which bring a lot of good sport or were very historic teams that haven't that are still kind of uh, you know sitting around in the in the second division and. Kind of the first one that comes to my head is um, Nottingham Forest. They're a um, very historical club. Yeah. yeah, and they've always seemed to be on the fringes. They always seem to have the players, but they never seem to have the right manager at the time, or it's the other way around. They maybe have a good manager, but not the players, and they just never seem to get the, all the pieces churning so that it's a working machine. Um, and I think it'd be quite nice to see Nottingham Forest back in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, they'd be my three I'd get promoted. Uh, if I was going to get any teams relegated, um, ooh, any teams, that's a, that's a, a good one. Um, I'm trying to think Newcastle, just because hopefully uh, a certain owner sells the club. Just, that would be it, and I think the fans would be enough and no one else would turn up. I mean, that's not, that's not a very fun answer. I was hoping we had some air, some grievances here, yeah. like how you really hate, and so like, I'd love to see them go down um, to the bottom of the football pyramid. Other than that, the other two I was thinking of um, were actually... No, actually, scrap the Newcastle one. No, you've said that, because I got two in my mind. Um, <laughs> Man United, I just feel like... Banter factors, definitely. Yeah, it would just be so... Same with That would be the same with Arsenal. I think them two, just to, just to see the people, the way the people react and how it just funny it would be. And I think that because they've been successful for so long... Um, it just, it'd be it'd be nice to bring them down to earth, down to like me, a humble Swansea City supporter, is where I am, and then they they they're down there, um, and I could actually do Newcastle, but actually in some ways that would be torturing that city even more, and I I take that back. I I I love Newcastle. I have a soft spot. I think they're, uh, they do the northeast proud, um, and kind of 
I guess Man City's getting close to it just because of how, <laughs> just how annoy like how annoying the fan base has come on since they've become this really great team. Yeah, I think obviously there's a massive temptation to relegate the big teams, and as a Chelsea fan, I think I would get a lot of satisfaction from seeing Arsenal and Tottenham get relegated, but I decided I'd go with a different flavour for this one as I actually quite enjoy the games with Chelsea play them. I think I'd definitely be missing something if they weren't in the league. So obviously when Fulham are in the championship, you don't have that derby. Yeah. It's sort of quite a nice derby as a Chelsea fan, mainly because you know you're probably certainly going to win it anyway. But it definitely adds to the sort of drama of the Premier League with rivalries. So I think I'd probably go just relegate. It's releg- the teams I've relegated are probably the ones I don't really care about that much, like Brighton. Uh, don't really mind. True. I think maybe... I mean, I, I quite like Southampton, what they did in the past, like when they obviously came up from League One, was it? Yeah, it's a I'm, great story. I was close to getting Southampton was one and Bournemouth as well. Just I feel like I love Bournemouth. I think that well, I, I don't. Was I love them? But I respect them a lot. Yeah, but I would like bigger clubs and like bigger stadiums. Seeing like the like Ellen Road, that's like a massive old stadium. I think I'd go Norwich, Brighton, and um, I don't know what the last one would be. I'll put put a pin in that one. I'll go to the pr- promoter team and see if I can come up with one quickly. So. The promoted ones, obviously, as you said, Leeds. I think Marcelo Bielsa in the Premier League would be absolute box office. Oh, he would be... We, we've seen Mourinho, but I think he would be on a different level. He's a different level because he's such an interesting guy. I think the Mourinho thing sort of because Mourinho definitely portrays a character, where I think Marcelo Bielsa is 100% him. Yeah. And it's just his personality is just incredibly intense. I think I read a story about when he got the Leeds job, he turned up with, like a dossier of stuff he'd learned from like he watched every single game they played the previous season and just compiled like notes on every single game every single player they had in their like academy and stuff like he is the most intense manager have you heard a story about when he signed um Maurizio Pochettino yeah and he went to his house yeah when he was sleeping as a child and then his mum was like wake him was like no no and he just kind of went into his room felt his legs and looked his legs or was he no he looked at his legs and was like yeah I'll sign him and then just he's mental it would actually yeah that is probably just another factor is that just he's brilliant as a like just he would be insane insanely fun to watch i think he perfectly balances like the character part that makes it such good entertainment and also he's such a good tactician as well like the way he's got leeds playing has been phenomenal and they were incredibly unlucky not to be promoted last season they just had a really bad run of form from like kind of the last quarter of the season the last third of the season and it really affected them. You can see even when they got into the playoffs, it was very much like you felt, you just felt other teams were better. They could beat them, which was quite, but I hopefully, I think this year, they will, I say they'll do it, but hopefully they will. I was looking at the uh, league table before I came here for the show we got on later. And I think they are top, they're second. I think they've got, I think they're five points clear at the moment as, as of recording this on the 5th of December. So I think as long as they can keep up the momentum they've got and they've won the last five. So yeah. you would hope that they can, uh, get into the automatic places especially because we saw last season maybe they didn't do very well in the playoffs so I would definitely like to see them come up and preferably through the automatic promotion places but the other two teams I was thinking maybe Sunderland I'm not a massive fan of them personally obviously they were the team that first beat Jose Mourinho at Stamford Bridge after However, it was an incredible amount of games Mourinho went without losing at Stamford Bridge. But I just feel like they're such a historic club and add so much to the league. And the Tyneweir Derby, is it called? Tyneweir Derby? Yeah, that sounds about right, yeah. It's one of the biggest derbies in probably England, I'd say. 
isn't and especially the northeast is an area where there's not much it sounds weird to say it's not a a, a cultural hub of england as you like london stuff i think yeah. that the clubs there are definitely a pillar of the community and it's harsh to see something that is so big amongst local people be dragged down to league one and i'd love to see them back in the big time and they've had some incredible players over the year as well years as well so it would definitely be a good thing to see them come back and just quickly my final one would probably be from a useful point of view to me maybe west brom as that's quite close by so i could probably go and watch them but i mean that's a bit of a loose reasoning for that yeah um pardon me if i got swansea promoted pardon me if would want maybe think like getting cardiff promoted because of Derby, a south wales derby in the premier league is always good yeah it's a good but, shout actually um yeah no i just i can't bring myself to promote cardiff yeah i mean it's, if with a club rival i don't think i'd I suppose it's different with uh, Fulham and Cardiff because they're sort of on a s- sort of similar level, I'd say. Whereas promoting like all Chelsea's sort of rivals like Fulham and Brentford and QPR, who were from London, they're such a lower like tier yeah, of club in terms of quality. So it's, it's such a big gap between them that like it wouldn't. It's a derby in name in some ways. Yeah, definitely. So moving on, what was your first question you came up with? Um, it was kind of. I guess a what if like type thing. So, what could have Jack Wilshire been? I see. I feel it's very different to the question you hypothetical. Uh, you could, but it's a di- but it's still a hypothetical in the sense that when we you asked us to kind of uh, think of like two or three questions, it was one of the first because I watched uh, as the fifth of December. This is recorded. Yeah. Uh, I watched the night before Wolves v um, West Ham, and Jack Wilshire was injured again. Um, and it was very much like what he could have been. It's a very much a what if. It's very and it's a, hy- a very hypothetical one in that. But it was that he was so talented and he was touted to be kind of the next England captain, the next big thing, a world class player. And he just he's been such a player who you can see he's talented, but he's just always injured. Yeah, I think definitely one of the things that people remember him for was that performance against Barcelona. I think yeah. that's obviously the thing that sort of put him on a lot of people's radars. And I think that was when people sort of started thinking he was going to be the next big like England player. But I think that it's difficult to say because obviously there's so many variables in play and there are uh, things you can maybe point out where he maybe didn't do things that were the best for his career. I think there are a couple of instances he was caught smoking, for example. Yeah. Which is obviously, it seems minor, but when you're a professional footballer on so much money, it's like one of the very few things you're just not supposed to do. I mean, it's very, it's not... A particularly arduous task we told not to be caught outside smoking. Like he's he's twenty seven now. He's still in the football game. He's still got quite a few years ahead of him. Because if you think about like comparing to like Pirlo, I know they're, they're different type of players, but they I feel like they're both players that could age quite gracefully the way they play. Or maybe he could adapt. He's a very uh, he's a good midfielder, but it's just the way like he just always seems to be injured. He can never get a good run of form. Yeah, I think that's massively it. I th- it's difficult to say from a great deal of certainty what would happen if he did get a massive run of form, but I think it helps any player. You can't just be expected to just turn up after a massive, after a long layout and just be right back up to your top level performance. And I think that's what he's really missed out on. It's a bit of a hypothetical in a hypothetical. Do you think if he was fit uh, for the last few years, or just like he was fit now and he, he played the way he played pre-injury, do you think he could make it into the England team? 
I think he will. I think he does offer something that England don't have a massive amount of. I think he's an incredibly good passer of the ball. And I think that's maybe one thing England do miss from the midfield. Obviously, you've got Jordan Henderson, Harry Winks, people like that. And I think they're obviously incredibly good. And you've obviously for Liverpool, Jordan Henderson is incredible at playing long balls. But I think it's sort of the close control sort of vision that Jack Wilcher has. I mean, you saw it with the obviously famous goal that he scored against Norwich, Norwich yeah. that won the... He's just got incredible vision as a player and he's got his like his footballing brain is up there with the best and it's just sort of his body that's letting him down, which I think is sort of the most sort of heartbreaking thing about it, really. It is, it is. It's very sad, especially watching at West Ham, just how he is literally a player who the reason he's not got to the heights it's the same with Owen Hargreaves, the player who never got to the heights he was touted to get to, just because his body just did, couldn't take the physicality or football. They just it just kept failing on them. I think another thing that's sort of would is relevant to Jack Wilshire is the fact that he is a player that would have really thrived in the teams that are doing well now. Like he could probably fit in this Manchester City team, for example, where the sort of onus has become on possession based football. That's something he would thrive in. And I think it's unlucky for him that it's the right time for his sort of trajectory of his career to go well and it's just gone the opposite way for him because of the injuries. The irony is it's probably Arsenal need a player like him. Yeah, exactly. And but I can see why they let him go because he was just so he was just injured all the time. He was just and he was on big wages, and I think Arsenal made more of a uh, financial decision around Jack Wilshere rather than a football in one. Yeah, I think it's one of those where the club did avoid sentimentality, really, and I think yeah. it was probably the right time for him to go because I think it's easier for him to break into this West Ham team than it is, would have been for him to break into that Arsenal team. I think I always thought if he was fit, he would definitely take Mark Noble's place, but he's just never fit. Was it an in like a major injury that did it for him? It's just been a lot of small injuries. Was it like a catalyst for it? Yeah. I can't remember. Well, he had that really bad leg break, wasn't it? Like when he was younger. Oh, is that, the, is that the weird one where the fans of the other team like boo him whenever he plays them? I think so. I could. I can't be certain, but I swear he had a massive injury when he was younger, and then ever since then he just seems to keep getting other injuries, like another broken bone or another pulled hamstring. It's just I couldn't tell what specific injuries, but it always sent. It always felt like. Is, I don't know what he's out for West Ham now because I haven't seen much of I'm because I've I haven't had time to follow much of West Ham. So when I went to the game, I told my mate who's a die-hard West Ham fan. I said, "Is Jack Wilshere?" And he's like, "Yeah, he's injured again." Yeah, it's maybe the same as someone like Gareth Bale, perhaps. Obviously not. Yeah, but it's, I think it happened a lot earlier in Jack Wilshere's career. Yeah, Gareth Bale kind of it happened around. I'd say his time is that she's first season in Real Madrid. Yeah, I think that was the sort of point where he started getting a lot of injuries. Whereas with Wilshire, what's he now? 28, 29? 27. Maybe? 27. He's been on the... Because I think the Barcelona game we mentioned earlier, that was when he was like 19 or something. Yeah, 21 it, at latest. He would have been really young. So it feels like a long time. He's like He's been around the sort of footballing world for an incredibly long time, especially when you compare it with like players that we think of as like big players. Like Harry Kane. Harry Kane was nowhere to be seen when Jack Wilshire was doing things yeah, like that. Yeah, he was playing like with Cesc Fabregas and Alex Song. It's a very weird one. I think it is an incredibly hypothetical question because you can never tell. But from what he's shown at the height of his career when he wasn't injured, there's no reason to suggest he couldn't have turned out those performances on a regular basis. Yeah. So I think in answer to your question, where could he have gone? Perhaps anywhere without the injuries. As I said, his footballing intelligence is second to none. And with the direction football has been going in the last few years, I think there are a lot of teams in which he would have thrived. I really hope he does kind of... He's still 27, so he's still got anywhere from, like, in his prime, anywhere from, like, four to six years because, like, midfielders can 
depending on how they play the game, age a bit more gracefully than some others. So I'm quite hoping that he could turn it around and maybe... I don't know. I, I doubt he'll make the Euros because he would have to suddenly get fit and then get an amazing run of form. Also, I think England have only got two friendlies left before the yeah, Euros. So would, I think it's... I doubt it's not going to integrate anyone. But he, he, he would have to like play blindingly good for West Ham. Um, but the World Cup, he would be 29, 30. I mean... That would be in his prime. I don't know if it, like people like Henderson would maybe he would be been his last probably be his last international tournament. So yeah, Henderson I think is a bit older than Jack Welsh, so that the next World Cup could be his last, or maybe it would. Maybe this tournament could be his last, depending on how his. If I'm if I'm thinking Henderson's age, I'm actually think he is. Yeah. So sort of moving on from that question back to a uh, my second question, it would be if you could bring back any of your club's players, like a legend or someone. And put them into that. You're starting eleven now. Who would it be? Um, hmm. Okay, I'm talking about the the player in their prime. So you get a prime. Whoever I kind it is. of. I feel bad because I kind of. I've seen from Swansea so far. Swansea, but also because my dad I was West Ham. So if I was, if I was to do Swansea, um, anyone in the prime, it, it would either be Michu. That's that's that's, a, that's, a sh- that's the one I was thinking of when I when I wrote the question. I thought Danny's going to say Michu just because of. At the moment, there's, we need someone who can score goals, and he would be the amount he, he scored in that season before injuries hit him. Another player who just got struck down by injuries um, was amazing, and that was in the Premier League. I think he would boss the championship. Or Gilfie Sigerson. I, I yeah, I always forget he plays for um, Swansea. Yeah, but I think I'd go for Michu just because of that season was legendary. It was something. There was something about that season and watching it was just. You just you just had like goosebumps. You just, you felt really weird. Like when you watched him, you're like, oh my god, this is we've actually got a really good player on our team. Yeah, he was definitely one of those players who, you, when he got the ball, you were sort of thinking, oh, what's he going to do now? Because you're yeah. always like, he could produce some sort of magic. And I think he's probably the best example of a sort of one season wonder. I can't yeah. think of any player who was as mercurial for just one season. It was always like, I always feel I, not annoyed, but I was getting like. I can see why people call him one season wonder, but it wasn't his fault in some ways. That's, oh, yeah. the only, that's the only thing I always kind of feel like is like, I agree he was a one season wonder, but with a caveat in that it, it was just because his, his, his body kept getting injured. He retired like four years after that. Yeah, I think he, did he, he went back to Spain at one point. He, he went to Spain second division at one point. He went to Napoli on loan, didn't break into a team then, and then he got some injuries again. And then he came back and I think we let go of him. And then he went to his brother's team, like the fourth division. Or something like that, like really low down in Spain to try and just actually get him to train so he could get playing. And he was by, he was like 32, 33 at this point, and I'm pretty sure he just was like, he was like, put a sock in it. He was like, I can't, I just, I don't think he could play anymore. Yeah, I think it's one of those, again, with lower to much Jack Wilsh, it's one of those players who has such a high potential and you can see that they're an incredible player and their body just lets them down. Well, he was like, I guess in hindsight, Arsenal were like wanted, were willing to pay like 25, 30 million from him. In hindsight, you'd be like, take that money because you just know what happened. For it. Yeah, just be, but um, but and that was like, I think after because he got injured towards the end of his first season, and everyone thought, oh god, but all right, this will be you know a slight injury, it won't be that bad. And then it also just was one of these recurring injuries, and he never get in the same mindset as he did when he scored like eighteen, twenty goals in that year. From essentially, he was a midfielder, essentially, who kind of was able to play centre forward. Yeah, it's definitely one of the Swansea's most probably one of their best players for a short period of time so moving on to my team obviously as i mentioned enough on this show and the podcasts i am a chelsea fan and i was sort of stuck in 
three minds about this because I was either going to go uh, Petr Cech switched out for uh, uh, Kepa. I'm still a bit on the fence with Kepa, not on not from on the, on on the pitch perspective, more of what he did in the Carabao Cup final. I thought it was such a act of gross insubordination to not be like. I understand you can have your problem with your manager, but you're paid to do what he says, and yeah. there's no excusing what I think he he came out and apologized, and I'm I'm glad the club didn't sell him because that would have been extreme. That, he, yeah, that would he, have been a step he, too far. He did seem to repent slightly, but again, I, it rubbed me up the wrong way, and that's not. I don't think that was befitting of someone for the club I support to behave in that way. Uh, another one would be maybe Ashley Cole coming back because I think left back is probably Chelsea's weakest position at the moment. Obviously, you've got Reese James coming through at right back. Obviously, uh, as we record yesterday, uh, Chelsea played against Aston Villa. And they played on the weekend against West Ham, and he was in both those games. He was one of our best players. His crossing is incredible, and he's great at taking on men and pushing forward. I think his positioning slightly suspect, and I think having an Ashley Cole there would be incredible for his development as well. Who would have thought that England would have had a problem in picking who should be their right back? Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one because obviously England aren't famed for producing world-class fullbacks. It's yeah. a very sort of Brazilian thing. It's not, yeah, it's not a very English thing. English are either good at producing rock hard centre backs and like maybe and good strikers. And the final one I was thinking of was, and this might be a controversial choice, I was going to go John Terry, but I, I won't. I'm going to go Ricardo Carvalho Ooh. because when, che- when uh, John Terry broke through in 1998 and sort of worked his way up through Chelsea. The real turning point for his career was when Jose Mourinho signed Ricardo Carvalho to play alongside him. And I think that he was such a fundamental part of John Terry's uh, sort of growth as a player and taught him a lot of stuff that he then used on to go and have, well, to become probably Chelsea's greatest ever home-produced player, certainly, and maybe one of the probably the best servants the club they've ever had. And I think with the uh, centre-backs that Chelsea got coming through in, this, in the likes of... Uh, the guy's uh, Fikayo Tomori, I think it's the guy's name. Yeah. I mean, I like Rudiger and Christensen and Zuma, but I think a seasoned professional who could really sort of teach him sort of maybe more of the, maybe the dark arts of defending, which maybe, considering Vars come in, maybe they're dying out a bit, but I still think there's a lot that he could learn from a player like, with the experience that Ricardo Carvalho had. I have uh, two players who I'm surprised... Well, maybe not. One of them I'm not surprised you may have not brought up, but one I'm kind of surprised you haven't brought up for Chelsea. Um, with the first one being Gianfranco Azzola, um, the Italian, uh, little Italian who was very good. Maybe not as not the most uh, prolific striker, but he was more second striker. That was his role to kind of get in between gaps. Pop, get, he was pop the ball. And that was kind of before Chelsea kind of became the Chelsea we all know. Yeah. And love or hate, depending on what you stand on that. Yeah, Zola was actually one I thought of because there's always a debate about who was Chelsea's most talented ever player, and a lot of people say it was either Zola or Hazard. Yeah, and I think that I do. I was probably a bit too young for Zola. Like I don't really. Rem- I obviously I've seen the video for one of my favourite Chelsea goals. I've watched the video of was the one he scored. I don't remember who it was against, but it's a corner and he runs in near oh, post yeah. and flicks it. It was an incredible bit of improvisation and. Yeah, I think 
also with the forwards that Chelsea have at the moment, they're quite exciting. And I don't think Zola would really add to that in a sense. The, the only other one I've got is quite, he was quite a long time ago. He's 79 now. So it would have been, and he only played for Chelsea four seasons, but Jimmy Greaves. Uh, he scored 132 goals in 169 games. Yeah, I was thinking of uh, old sort of Chelsea players that have played very long in the past. With his last season being 41 goals in 40 games. That is incredible, yeah. The other player who, obviously I don't know too much about him because obviously I'm far too yeah. young. The only other player that I thought of from the past eras of Chelsea would be uh, Peter Bonetti, the goalkeeper. Oh, I, I can't... I... Another, like, as I was saying, John Terry's a fantastic servant to the club. Bonetti was also, I think I've read, I was looking at this earlier before I came down because I was researching him. He made like 400 appearances, went to another club, then came back and did another 130. Well, that's the thing, because when talking about Jimmy Greaves, is that he played longer for Tottenham, but his best goal-scoring season was his fourth season ever with Chelsea before he moved off to AC Milan for a season. And then was like, I don't like Italy, and came back home. Let's bring an article about that the other day. It was quite interesting. He was, he was arguably England's greatest ever striker. I mean, you could talk about Gary Lineker, but I don't think, and to an extent... And you obviously got Gary Lineker, Alan Shearer, Wayne Rooney, Wayne Rooney, Bobby Charlton, uh, and obviously now Harry Kane. Um, but Jimmy Greaves scored, I think, forty-four goals for England in fifty-seven games. That's a ridiculous like, and return. The only the only reason he's not really gone down in the same history is like, we all know Jeff Hurst. The only reason he isn't named the same is because he got injured in the quarterfinals. All right, I'm pretty sure. And he they decided and they had to play Jeff Hurst. And obviously right. Jeff Hurst scored a hat-trick. Yeah, well, actually, weirdly, I was the 96th thing came up again when I was researching Peter Bonetti, because yeah. he was actually the substitute goalkeeper. I think that was the thing, he, Jimmy, was... Jimmy Greaves came back, but they had a weird thing, you couldn't substitute people in. So they, they he just was like, he just never got... Uh... I think, because uh, Peter Bonetti also didn't get his World Cup winners medal like 2009, that because is, they had yeah. to, the FA had to lobby FIFA to reward the people who didn't play in the final, which that, was... It's a really stupid thing, that, just because he didn't play in the final... Like, Actually, it might have been, he, I don't, he might not have appeared in the tournament at all. I don't know. I didn't check. No, I've, I've heard that. I think I swear that's the same with Jimmy Greaves and a few other players who. Uh, but yeah, Jimmy Greaves, arguably one of England's best ever striker, but just doesn't get the credit he deserves because he seems to always just about missed out in the big moments in history. Like, I don't think he was with Chelsea when they won the first league title ever. He played for Chelsea, AC Milan, Tottenham, and West Ham. That's a pretty eclectic mix. Yeah. Like. Although it does show a very heavy favour towards London. Yeah, he's. I, I think that's why he didn't like AC Milan. But he had 9 and 12 goals there. Uh, that is like his goal scoring record. record is, I know it's the six, 50s and 60s. Take a bit of a divergent, but he's very much probably per ratio, probably the best ever England striker per goal, like goals per game. Maybe outside Harry Kane. And that's probably definitely true. So moving on to your second question. It was kind of a... It was a weird one because it kind of seems undermined by what's happening now in the Premier League. But it's, can anyone outside the the top six win the Premier League in the future? And the reason I thought this was that if you've looked since 1995 when the Premier League was founded from... uh, 992, wasn't it? 992, yeah. um, From the old First Division. There's only been a handful of winners. You've had Man United, Blackburn Rovers, Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester City and Leicester City and probably Liverpool this year. But you've always had a top four, or now top six. However, with the way money's going and the way these these big TV deals are going and the big mega rich billionaires, like super billionaires that are owning clubs now, I was thinking, like, can you see, like, 
a Brian Clough derby come up from the second division and win the first and win the first division a season after it's been in the top tier? Or can you see him another Brian Clough team like Nottingham Forest go up, win the first division, then win back to back European Cups? I think I I don't think anything's impossible. Obviously, you saw from the Leicester team that won the league, but with the caveat that. That wasn't especially poor Premier League season in terms of points yeah. you required to win the league. It, it was 81, I think. They won. That was like one of the third or second lowest yeah, ever had won but, the Premier League. But one of the things I point to is Wolves last season. They came up and they finished sixth, which is obviously not winning the league. But considering the teams they finished above of who were established Premier League teams, there's definitely a precedent for someone coming up and doing well. I don't think necessarily a team could be promoted and win the league the following season. But as we've seen with clubs like Bournemouth, who have, they sort of get this uh, thing about being a small club. Like, they do spend quite a lot of money, but they spend yeah. it in a sensible way where they don't spend £70 million on one player. They sort of buy a lot of like little players. Like, for example, they but, bought the guy, Philip Billings, yeah. from Huddersfield. I watched the United-Bournemouth game when Bournemouth beat them at the Vitality earlier in the season. And he was an incredibly good player. Like he was like breaking out the play. He was probably the best midfielder on the pitch. I, it's just the only reason I was kind of proposed that I know that it kind of gets undermined by the point now that this Leicester team is arguably, oh, in my opinion, is better than the one that won the league uh, three, four years ago now. Um, it was uh, 16, no, 16, 17, I think. Yes, yeah, so it'd be about three the years. Fi- no, it's 15, 16, sorry. Because, yeah, you had back to back City and then Chelsea. Yeah, so yeah, um, so, yeah arguably, like it, this team is a better all-round team than the one that won the league. However, it's just that the way money is and that... See, we talk about Wolves and how they have did that, but this year they've been a bit poor because of uh, the Europa League and they've been juggling stuff and they've been juggling competitions. But I just feel like nowadays you can't keep players at clubs. Like, maybe in the old days you, could, you were able to promise keep players at clubs. There was a bit of loyalty. You'd be like, I believe in this manager. He's going to build this team. Or you, you, you brought players up from from, like, your local area... And they would stay at the club, and then you that club could build around them, and you'd win stuff. But it doesn't seem like kind of that happens nowadays. That just because it, as soon as you get really, it happened in the past, but it feels like it happens more nowadays. Where your player gets good at club, and then the club gets cannibalized, and just everyone takes like buys players from there. So like, that like I'm quite surprised Wolves has kept as many players as they have. But if you look at Leicester, who are second in the league at, as of the time of recording. Ben Chilwell is, I believe, a Manchester City uh, prospect. No, no uh, Manchester City. I believe want to sign him. Um, Yuri Telemons. Everyone wants to sign him. Harvey Barnes has been talked about him moving away. There's just so many. And like, uh, who's the Turkish centre back? No, uh, yeah, I believe I've heard rumours that City want to sign him. Um, there just seems to be like so many like players and. I understand why players would not resist to move to these big clubs because there's guarantee a win, but there's no belief that, oh, if we all stay here and Leicester bring in two more players and we all get better and Brendan sta- Brendan Rodgers stays as manager, like even rumours of him going to Arsenal, there's kind of this thing of, well, no one can build nowadays, like build a club up from the second tier or just lower in the, the Premier League and then make them Premier League winners and keep like start like start a dynasty, really. I actually think the stuff you've been talking about, Leicester, is actually the perfect acid test for this because I think to see what they do after this season will tell us a lot more about the current sort of state of affairs in the Premier League because with the players they've got, they definitely look like they could be on the verge of something. 
like the point totals put up by Manchester City and Liverpool were, like last season for example was it 96 98 or something yeah like there's no way that another team even came close to that so it does in a sense seem like somewhat of an insurmountable task to bridge the gap but to build to the future like the when when Jurgen Klopp took over Liverpool was that team better than this Liverpool team I'd say probably not no but I feel like with Liverpool they've always been a historic they've always been in the Premier League they've always had this massive back and they've always been a huge club like you don't see a derby kind of come up from the second division and bring players in and win the league it just because by that time they would get a chance to win the league some well, their best striker would have gone to Arsenal or something it just it just feels very much kind of like teams are so much harder to build around because and now you nowadays with English players seem to kind of be the hot property in Europe a lot of teams abroad are looking at English players to kind of sign them I feel it's very Leicester is the one that could prove me wrong but I feel like if Leicester don't ever get a chance to win this Leicester team don't win a Premier League or like Rogers leaves or so when these players leave and they just and then they, they go back to being a middle in middle level Premier League team or even towards relegation then I kind of I guess it proves my point because I feel like the gap between the Championship and Premier League is so big now and the money even between the bottom of the Premier League and top of the Premier League is so big that I just I, I, I can't find how teams are going to bridge them and if they do decide to go right we'll bring through youth players we'll sign players on the cheap and develop them and we'll try and find bargains but they'll, they, they'll end up going in a season or two since they start becoming really good yeah, I think the sort of thing that to look at in terms of this would be specifically next season. I think, like obviously, when we're recording this, we don't know what's going to happen in the next month. But I can't imagine Liverpool going to drop too many points. And I think the gap at this point is insurmountable for any team, including Leicester. But next season, if Leicester do keep their team together, I think that is probably the best chance for many years for a team that's not part of the conventional big six to win the league because obviously the Leicester team that won it in 15-16 is an exception because no one thought they were going to win it but I think this is the time where there's a plausible chance that an outsider in inverted commas from a sort of historical perspective could maybe bridge the gap and go on to uh, win the league possibly yeah that's a good like let let must test uh forget if I said the right word um it is yeah, it's an interesting one because I'm just kind of I, I. It's it's football used to be. I feel like it used to be more cyclical in that you'd kind of have ups and downs in teams. Like, but realistically, I can't see United ever dropping out of the Premier League. There's not really any space for the downs anymore. Like you've yeah. got all the ups, but any, as soon as something starts going down, either it the project gets scrapped and it gets completely reworked in a different way. Or you just keep sinking, like for example, Sunderland. Like yeah. That. They were they were comfortably in the Premier League. Then a couple of seasons they sort of teetering over the edge, and when they fell, they just it didn't was stop sliding off a cliff. And I think that's probably a product of the environment that the Premier League has cultivated around managers and players. That that once you do, for example, decide to sack a manager, there are two distinct paths you can go with, and sometimes that path isn't very clear and I think sometimes it is a bit of a gamble and if the gamble goes wrong then the sort of wheels can completely fall off your whole project so for example with the Leicester team say Soyuncuk did leave and they brought in someone who turned out to have an absolute mare there then is if they started losing would Brendan Rodgers job be safe would people start looking elsewhere yeah. there are so many it's such a finely tuned machine that if one cog breaks it can just bring the whole thing tumbling down. And look how many teams that we we uh, at the beginning of the show in week in a few weeks ago, about two months ago nearly, we said that would 
like break into the top six West Ham, Everton, Leicester. Leicester have, but Everton and West Ham have had a mare. Everton are in the bottom three. Like, it's it, teams that have the money or have the resources that could possibly break into the top six. And maybe not now, but in the future challenge for Premier League titles, just don't seem anywhere near it. I think Leicester have hit the jack- nail on the head and, hit, and just had to also hit the jackpot. They've hit, they've hit everything right. It's all all the numbers have come up in the right order and they just seem to, whereas like all, like, Everton just seemed to be they as of recording today, Marco Silva got sacked. Um, it just seems to be that kind of a Manuel, Manuel Pellegrini does it seems like he's fallen suit. So by the time this comes out, possibly could be sacked. So it seems a very like the teams that we would have you would have put money on if you were a better man to say they could possibly in a, break into top six this year or even in a few years time be contending for the title because of the resources they have and the players they have. Just like I all knew if Allo, when Allo signed for. Um, West Ham for 45 million, I believe. Uh, I knew if he had a really good season of scoring like 20 goals, he would be off to one of a bigger club like Arsenal or so on. Yeah, I think it's definitely the unpredictable nature of the Premier League that sort of show is shown, especially by the predictions we'll make about which teams could break into the top four or top six. But I think that just about does it for our show today. I think we had a few more questions, so we might sort of in the future do another one of these. Perhaps Jules will get involved. He'll bring his unique yeah. insight into the thing. So anyway, remember you can listen to all of our shows on Spotify by just searching Goals Aloud and you can also listen to our main show live from 9pm to 10pm on Burn FM on Thursdays. I've been Jake Sandy. I've been joined by Danny Hodges. Thank you. And as ever, thank you so much for listening and we're all looking forward to bringing you even more content in 2020. So goodbye. <laughs>